Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. I could easily kill you now. But I'm determined to have your brain. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Hi, my name is Chris, and along with Jeff, we talk about movies that aren't really awful at all. Horror, action, kung fu, musicals, post-apocalyptic, women in prison films, and much, much more. Fame. Glamour. Perfection. What if you could find it all at the tip of a needle? Here at the Lucas Clinic, we strive to bring you closer to celebrity than ever before. With samples drawn directly from the source, you can be connected in ways you never imagined. Do you not agree that the mania surrounding celebrity is reaching an unhealthy level? No, I don't. My clients want to feel more connected to those people that they see in the magazines and on television. Enjoy. So far, I've had all her diseases. <laughs> Must have been expensive. Is there any way you could spread it? <laughs> what happened to Anna Geist? It's pretty shocking. You started bleeding yet? Bleeding. I don't understand how this isn't considered cannibalism. You become involved in something sinister. downtown Toronto headquarters. Here's episode 308 of the Really Awful Movies podcast. Antiviral. Now, uh, back when I was a producer and a journalist at the CBC, or a nation's broadcaster, I would occasionally get a bunch of stuff sent my way. Uh, I was in the, uh, I guess what was described as, uh, I think it was uh, factual entertainment. So when movies and uh, other marketing creative was sent out occasionally it would end up in someone's office and then at the end of the year they would give it out now seemingly everywhere I go in any vocation I become known as the horror guy and sure enough this uh, reputation followed me to the CBC as it has before and since I don't know if listeners of the show can relate to that but as as popular as the horror genre is it's still <laughs> relatively unpopular compared with other genres and you frequently and oftentimes have to explain yourself for enjoying it. Now, the uh, I guess the uh, producer of the show passed it along to me as the horror guy and antiviral was among the titles. Uh, I forget the other ones, but what caught my attention right off the bat 
was the gleaming, glistening red lips. It was almost like a Rocky Horror uh, kind of uh, visual aesthetic that it had, first off. And then secondly, it was the um, call-out of the director's name and the surname that really caught my eye because this is Brandon Cronenberg, who is a son of David, uh, obviously one of the finest and exemplary directors in the horror space, hell, in any space, one could argue. And uh, I guess when the film was released, uh, people were saying that uh, this one was, you know, uh, carrying the Cronenberg name was uh, him being a chip off the old block and carrying on in that fine tradition of uh, body horror. And to a certain extent, it's true, but uh, also to a certain extent, that was a little bit, uh, a little bit lazy as uh, Cronenberg has moved on to bigger, uh, although not necessarily better things, uh, depending on how you uh, perceive his later output. But he's left this style of filmmaking in the past, but it's still, I guess, um, has enough of an audience that, uh, hell, when Cronenberg came out with his uh, government-funded movies in the 70s and 80s, it required a, an entirely new a nomenclature, an entirely new moniker to deal with it, because prior, there was nothing that so evocatively captured uh, what he was up to than the phrase body horror. And obviously that really encapsulates his uh, early output. And this was the case for, this is the uh, milieu that uh, Brandon was operating. Now it's funny, a couple weeks back on, on the subway, I saw uh, Brandon Cronenberg, and I, I'd had a few, uh, I had a few drinks in me, but I, you know, summoned the courage to say, "Hey, man, I, I really liked uh, liked your movie." And he told me about uh, Possessor, which is uh, an effort that, admittedly, I hadn't seen, and it, I think it was out at uh, Sundance or something this year. And I neglected to <laughs> ask if he'd come on the show, but we have had at one point reached out to his agent, but he was too busy with uh, his numerous projects. But uh, hopefully we can get him uh, involved as well. He's an interesting cerebral character, much like his dad, who uh, I could really listen to for hours opining on, on uh, different subjects. And not to get all fanboy here and uh, <laughs> celebrity obsessed, but I feel like I have some sort of uh, kinship with him in that both of us studied uh, science at the University of Toronto and yet maintain one foot in the uh, well, with him, it's a whole body in the artistic realm, whereas and whereas myself, I'm a humble uh, nonfiction author, uh, despite having a, a background in uh, neurobiology. And anyway, like I hold Cronenberg, the senior, in such high esteem, and uh, I was recently checking out some YouTube uh, videos that were trying to, his hosts were trying to put his uh, career into perspective of the ever popular top 10 list and it's one of the thing that could go on uh, it would be an interminable list i mean you could there's so many different ways you could you could um, rearrange them i don't even know like, what i would put as my first because it's so it, it changes so much i mean to the extent that my first introduction into david's work was through his two most commercially i mean unstraightforward works and that would be through uh, the Jeremy Irons star Dead Ringers and then also through the uh, Jeff Goldblum star The Fly, you know, both of which I saw when I was 12 and uh, Dead Ringers I picked up because of the 
the red flowing almost uh, inquisitor type gowns <laughs> that the uh, gynecologists were wearing and I thought whoa dead ringers and of course I didn't know at the time being a dumb teenager that a dead ringer was a doppelganger so I thought it meant something to do with a mortuary and dead and I thought oh this is going to be a slasher and boy did it disappoint on that front because at the time uh, I was looking for boobs and body count and this is the type of movie that really held no um, appeal to my uh, you know, nascent uh, brain, and uh, I just really didn't know what, what to deal with it. Uh, I think it was a, uh, a month later or so when I checked out uh, you know, The Fly at a slumber party, and by that time we had already gone through our Friday the 13th uh, films, and by the time 3 a.m. rolled around, there were very few people left uh, awake, and so it was, you know, the, 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 let's call it deliberate pacing of the David Cronenberg film was not exactly... Uh, the right uh, kind of flick for a bunch of uh, teenagers, uh, you know, getting uh, in, getting their uh, rocks off to horror. Now, uh, all that is a rather roundabout way of getting to uh, this effort here. And now, antiviral, you'd think, okay, this is a uh, a, a uh, contagion movie that uh, involves something escaping to the outside, and to a certain extent, that's true. Although it's not really escaping, it's more of a smuggling. And in the traditional uh, zombie contagion flick, obviously the virus uh, escapes from its confines. This one is uh, the Lucas Lab, which is a uh, interesting, you know, organization. Insofar it, it actually conjures up uh, some of uh, Cronenberg's uh, work with the uh, the keloid and. Uh, the skin grafts that he, you know, so expertly uh, crafts you know, uh, body parts and technology. But this one, the Lucas Labs, involves uh, what's called a biological communion with, uh, or what he calls it in the movie, between the plebes, let's say the ordinary uh, citizenry, and their favorite uh, celebrities. So in, in a world where people get, uh, want to get physically closer to their favorite um, celebrity, uh, you know, to indulge their, their worst celebrity worshipping impulses. This one carries that conceit to the next level where the closeness is brought into biological proximity through colds and other uh, viruses. So you can actually go and uh, pick up and, or I guess contract, one more, would more accurately say, let's say a herpes simplex or a, uh, some kind of infection of some sort or some, you know, biological uh, <laughs> vector from a celebrity. And one of the, um, I guess the, uh, the protagonist is uh, Sid March, who's an employee at the Lucas Clinic, who's the, who's the, has the very sickly and uh, pale uh, visage and mien uh, of one Caleb Landry Jones, who is a terrific actor and who I would have thought would have made an incredible Axl Rose if anyone decides to uh, greenlight a Guns N' Roses biopic. Anyway, that's my casting uh, suggestion if anyone wants to take it and run with it. But now, Sid March is uh, a rather unscrupulous character who is uh, sneaking out and uh, using his own body as a kind of an incubator from this uh, bespoke clinic and taking the, uh, the uh, pathogens and uh, selling them on the black market. So it's a really interesting idea. And to the extent it works or doesn't is what I think has been uh, uh, some of the, been the thrust behind some of the criticism behind this film. Now, 
I was thinking uh, similarly, you could throw David Cronenberg's crash in the mix of a conceit that this viewer found it hard to get behind. So to dangle a participle here, but uh, in that one, for those who haven't seen it, uh, James Spader is, uh, falls in with a group of, of uh, enthusiasts who uh, like to marry the, uh, I guess you could say, fetishization of automobiles and carrying that to the nth degree by combining lovemaking with the dangers inherent of uh, high-speed automobile uh, racing. And that's really a great and interesting idea because obviously the pairing of the automobile and uh, illicit sex is one that goes back to, I mean, when uh, the teen demographic really came into being post-war, you had obviously your make-out points, and uh, vehicles could substitute as surrogate uh, motels for a set that really couldn't afford such things, and make-out points served as a, as a uh, uh, way to get away from the uh, prying eyes of the parentals, and so the, but making it like a causal, the direct uh, link between the eroticism of the automobile and and uh, young lust was really uh, <laughs> oh in this case slightly older I guess it would be but really he Cronenberg worked out all the kinks uh, no pun intended of, of that kind of conceit and boy was that an interesting one and I think the third or fourth film I'd seen in the oeuvre after uh, a couple of years later into well into my teens and again it was something that fell eminently flat with me for its uh, very very I guess stark and austere and kind of off-putting and a sobriquet that's been frequently applied to Cronenberg films which is clinical I mean literally, literally clinical here with Brandon Cronenberg's work as the Lucas Clinic uh, divide is uh, brought to life uh, through cinema in not the most original way as white has been used throughout cinema, but in a very engaging and very, very bichromatic color palette. And this clinic really comes to life and, and you have the, uh, I guess the uh, foreground and background coming into and standing in sharp con contraindication when you have celebrity uh, faces in the clinic that everyone wants to be. And one of whom is uh, Hannah Geist. Uh, Geist is a, uh, I guess German for ghost, and uh, she's kind of a uh, figure onto which uh, I guess different. Uh, I guess uh, you know, uh, hmm, how would you put it? Uh, she's she's the blank slate onto which uh, different you know uh, uh, demands and uh, can be placed by her fan base. So she's got a, a large. A uh, large fan base. She's a young actress, and there's much speculation, much like in current celebrity culture, about who has had what done to them uh, in terms of plastic surgery. So that's a uh, again going back to the older Cronenberg's uh, keloid conceits from I guess uh, what is it uh, the film Rabbit and the uh, the grotesque lab in that one. But uh, there's speculation about her vulva and whether that's been uh, it's been uh, it's the definite article, or whether that's been uh, specially fashioned and created for her. And I was thinking as you as you go through Netflix, there's a, a number of uh, rather gross as surgery shows that have come to the forefront as uh, Netflix is developing more what could broadly be lumped into the documentary category if they weren't such reality TV driven dreck. But uh, there's a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon, I believe, is one of them, and it has these sort of uh, grotesque characters who uh, talk shop about their 
about their rather sordid business and they interview, I guess, uh, prospective clients and you get, they get to, uh, I guess, uh, go through their various, uh, the, the psychology behind and then work out their, <laughs> work out their, I mean, what would you say? Uh, pathologies, if you want to call it that, work out their, the psychology of why they're getting what they're doing and in exchange for, I think, a discount on some of these procedures, whether it's boob jobs or uh, in the rhinoplasties or what have you, um, they get uh, exposed and exploited through the wonders of Netflix and beamed out to, I guess, 80 different countries that the service operates in. So the Lucas Clinic taps into that uh, vernacular and when uh, Sid March is... Uh, using uh, his his own body to make extra money it's a bit there there's it's kind of got uh, a bit of a world's oldest profession uh, vibe to it but uh, other critics and I wouldn't be the first to uh, remark upon this would have uh, touched on the vampiric elements of this because they're all very wan and white and pasty characters who look like they have iron deficiencies and they're uh, you know, in, frequently injecting one another with uh, with various uh, serums and that. So the the it's a, a fair comparison to make. Now, uh, Hannah Geist has also fallen ill with another kind of uh, disease, and there's all these machinations about how uh, she could have gotten that, and uh, how she come her how she comes to meet her end is uh, a plot point that the uh, film uh, dives into as a rival company called Vol and Tesser starts to uh, you know uh, try and uh, encroach on the territory occupied by the Lucas Clinic and uh, cashing in on celebrity uh, bodily um, you know bodily fluids and uh, and pathogens so again a very very interesting idea that uh, Brandon Cronenberg uh, explores and one that I think some UK critics said wasn't overly original because of the subject matter once again uh, I guess exploring what it means to uh, to you know to buy into celebrity culture and to a certain extent uh, I think some of those criticisms are warranted because again with the conceit of getting wanting to get close to your favorite celebrity by injecting uh, injecting a virus into your skin cells it's as as celebrity culture has evolved if you want to use that term uh, i would say people are becoming their their own celebrity and i think it's not as uh, it's not as ivory tower as it, as it was once seen in the likes of uh, you know the the, the heyday of uh, your Cary grants and your jane mansfields and your you know uh, your golden era of Hollywood stars. It wasn't as unattainable because the stars have brought themselves closer to you insofar as not as close as through a virus, but through the equally pernicious uh, viral aspects of uh, social media and obviously getting their PR teams on board to reach out through uh, TikTok or Snapchat or whatever medium at their disposal to become uh, one and have their own uh, unholy communion with, uh, with the fans. So to the extent that fans have become their own celebrity, I don't think the people have as much, uh, they don't carry as much weight, especially when there's the, the entire notion of celebrity has proliferated to include the likes of, uh, you know, uh, YouTube stars and people who celebrity box one another because they're famous enough to outdraw actual professional boxers. So uh, it's pretty, I don't know, To the, the genesis from this for this movie was when uh, Brandon Cronenberg came down with a, a virus himself and he was, 
He was curious about the intimacy of getting something from someone else uh, without really knowing them. And uh, it's something that maybe we would come to think about as COVID uh, runs, uh, ravages uh, North America and beyond. And you don't think of your situation, you don't personalize your situation to the extent that maybe you should, because we're all in this together, and yet there's something distant about, say, wiping your hand upon the surface that someone else has touched. But if you knew from whence your uh, virus originated, maybe you would have feel a little more kinship with your fellow man if they could, say, trace it back to a certain local business that you've been uh, patronizing. So uh, he found himself in that situation, and then it was, uh, I guess, uh, re- uh, reimagined when he uh, later saw a late night talk show featuring Sarah Michelle Geller, speaking of vampires there, uh, or at least vampire TV shows, and she was uh, talking about how she was going to get the entire audience sick at, I think she was on Kimmel or Letterman or some such thing, so, and hence, voila, the uh, antiviral movie and the conceit about uh, spreading celebrity uh, viruses and pathogens. Now, uh, as in Videodrome, there's a reality TV uh, component to this film, and uh, and it, it uh, brings itself to the forefront when Sid March's character is abducted by one of the, uh, uh, his I guess his equivalent at the uh, Volantesser lab. And uh, so you, there's a call-out as, as well to the, uh, you know, uh, the call-out, the famous call-out in Videodrome of the new flesh. So in order to sate uh, Hannah Geis fans, uh, her death and uh, deterioration would be broadcast on reality TV. So eventually, I guess news does break, and I guess I spoiled my own uh, my own uh, plot synopsis here. But uh, yeah, later in the uh, in the film, Hannah Geist meets her maker, or does she? She's kind of kept in a state of suspended animation and living on through a weird uh, digital interface. Uh, now. Much like uh, Cronenberg's, the, the seniors' uh, early work, this one is heavily infused with science fiction, almost at the expense of horror, and you could, you, know, you could say whether one falls into one category or the other, or you can't say, let's say. And um, to the extent this one succeeds, I think it really is dependent on the creepy atmosphere that's uh, created, and really tapping into the... Uh, bodily aspects of horror come and it as as in the uh, David Cronenberg film it came from within uh, the inward aspects of horror rather than the outward uh, liminal uh, me against them shutting my door and slamming it on the face of some uh, masked killer so it's, he's bringing the uh, conceit from within and taking the within aspects of uh, the internal body and making it, uh, you know, without. So in another side business of, I guess, the Lucas Clinic is rendering muscle tissue as meat. And there's a, I guess there's a, a local deli and the deli sources meat from the clinic. And uh, it is steak taken from the muscle tissue of uh, Hannah Geist and other competing uh, celebrity interests. So it's uh, another wonderful idea that uh, maybe could have been uh, explored. I mean, uh, you're taking really what is a, a meat market, which is people's desire to uh, look like, well, a, a celebrity at any cost through uh, Frankensteinian you know, plastic surgery and 
and I guess displaying it as a literal meat market where meat is grown uh, from the cells of celebrities for, for consumption. So consuming celebrities, again, taken to its extreme, getting close to celebrities taken to its extreme. Uh, now, I guess that's a point in the podcast where I should get to um, what I learned. Well, I guess it's almost actively uncommercial to the extent that Cronenberg's uh, movies were. And David Cronenberg would take studio notes and either ignore them or try to the best of his ability to incorporate some of them. But one can't imagine uh, major studios and their reaction to the, I mean, the elevator pitch of, say, a, a crash or a dead ringer. It's just so... It's the it's so antithetical to anything with any commercial appeal. And as close as he would have gotten would have been the dead zone, but even then, I mean, uh, Stephen King adaptations are very hit and miss uh, in terms of uh, public box office. But that was the most commercial he would have ever gotten. And even in his later work, I mean, uh, a dangerous method, the you know Viennese psychoanalysts and their period piece set in. Uh, in Austria, in the you know fantasy or the 1910s or whenever it was that Freud was uh, plying his trade on uh, on uh, you know very anxious housewives. It's just you could put anyone in that film. You could put The Rock. You could put you could you could put uh, Johnny Depp in there. It's commercial poison, really. And kudos to David Cronenberg for not giving two shits about that and just. Just forging ahead and having his creative vision so infrequently compromised by studio notes, so good for him. It seems like Brandon is on the path, and for a film that had a budget of $3 million, it, I think it was a commercial flop, but, I mean, when you have the connections and, and backing that uh, Brandon has, you're able to at least... Uh, uh, enter a few doors that would be closed on other people. So that's sort of one of the things I've uh, learned. Now, I also think that um, it's been fairly, I think, uh, given it's applauded in, by critics I respect anyway, like uh, Kim Newman and Empire called it smart, subversive, but rather cold. I think that's uh, wholly accurate. Now, um, I'm keen enough to see some of his later work as it... Uh, resonate with me in the same way Sion Sono's work did, although not uh, reaching those heights. But when I first saw my first Sono film that I wanted to be a Sono completist, and to the same extent I would like to see uh, Brandon Cronenberg's later work and to see how he uh, works out his particular predilections and how he either deviates or sticks to the script that his uh, dad uh, wrote, I guess literally and uh, figuratively, with uh, a lot of his auteur work. So star rating for me, I'm going to give this a solid three and a quarter. I mean, yes, uh, I, I sort of roll my eyes when I talk, when I see another movie that deals with uh, celebrity, but again, this one takes things in directions heretofore uh, untapped, I think, and in that sense, he, he's in good company with Dad, and uh, three, three and a quarter, yeah, for me, and um, Hope to uh, have uh, Jeff back as my uh, affable co-host on the Really Awful Movies podcast. We're taking a little bit of a summer hiatus, but since I've been really diving into a bunch of different horror films, uh, like I didn't even know what I would get into here this week with uh, just uh, taking on all sorts of different uh, types and genres of horror. So I'm really uh, into it in a big way that I tend not to be in the summer, as I take uh, usually take a bit of a break in the summer and then get back to things hardcore in the fall. Not so this time. Um, anyway, uh, 
hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, we'll uh, tackle all sorts of uh, genre films and also action as we celebrate soon the upcoming release of Mine's Bigger Than Yours, the 100 Wackiest Action Movies. That is Jeff and I's uh, latest uh, nonfiction tome that is coming out from Schiffer Publishing and is currently available on Amazon. So plug, pre-order yours today. It's, it's, it's going to be fantastic. It's hilarious. And uh, we shall talk to you soon. Take care. Thank mm-hmm. you.